After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopota the Berean, son of Phyrus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secondus, and Gaius of Derb, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, so you guys, just to point this out, have you noticed the change? It's now first person, right, we, right? Before it was kind of third person, all of that, but now is we. So if you guys know Luke is the author, um, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, of course, and he's also the author of Acts, and there's a switch, and in Acts it happens sometimes, and so he's writing from kind of first person thing. So it says from verse one, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, um, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room, and were a room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Verse 13. But going ahead of the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul abroad aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to my Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day, opposite Chios, the next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Let's pray. God, give us understanding. May this time 
this time dedicated to exploring your word, specifically Acts and your work through your church. God, may you help us, give us understanding to know how this story applies to us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the spring of 58 AD, and the Apostle Paul and his team are on the final stages of his third missionary journey. They're on their way back to Jerusalem, and what they do is that they decide to make a stop in the city of Troas to spend some time with the Christians there. This isn't the first time. Paul has been to Troas. If you remember, his first time there was during his second missionary journey. It was in Troas where Paul received this crazy vision, okay, that gave him confidence and direction as to where he should go next. And so he's back in Troas and he's super excited to see the Christians there and spend time with them. Look at verse 7 again. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Paul and his team, okay, have been in Troas for seven days now, and on the first day of the week, okay, first day of the week, um, you've got to remember that, that this is all based on the Jewish calendar, so the first day of the week is actually Sunday, okay, and so what's happening on Sunday? Paul and his team um, have met with followers of Jesus in Troas for worship and prayer. Now, what's interesting um, about this, and we're going to see some interesting thing, but um, what's been happening is since Paul and his team have arrived in Troas, um, they've just been super encouraged by the Christians there. Um, they've been encouraged by their love and care for one another and how obsessed they are with knowing Jesus and making him known. But Paul and his team are a little sad right now. Why are they sad? Because today is their last day in Troas. Um, first thing tomorrow, um, they have to say goodbye and set sail for Jerusalem. And so they want to make the best use of their time. It says in verse 7 that they gathered together to break bread. Um, maybe they, what this means is that they ate a meal together or celebrated communion. Maybe it was both. We don't know what else took place um, in this meeting. But what we do know is that there was preaching. And there was lots of preaching. And then there was more preaching. And we know this because verse 7, right, if you look at it again, says this, that Paul prolonged his speech until midnight. We're not entirely sure when they started. I think they started in the evening um, because most of the people that were there worked, right? They did work, and so they probably gathered to meet from like 5, 6 p.m. till 9 p.m., but it tells us that Paul extended his speech and his teaching and prolonged it. Look at verse 8. There were many lamps in the room where we were gathered. This seems like an odd piece of information, right? 
like there's a lot of lamps in the upper room where we were meeting. This may come across as odd, doesn't seem all that important, but it's information that will play a key role in what's about to happen next in our story. Let's look at it. And so let's remember it's Paul's last day in the city of Troas. And because of this, every Christian in that city, okay, they've made it a priority um, to be there and gather with other believers and hear Paul teach, okay? They have gathered in the upstairs room on the third floor of a building. Um, the room is not only well lit with many lamps, but the room is packed with people okay there's just you know you know there just isn't enough space for everyone to sit comfortably okay um i grew up in london and we have the tube and the underground and during rush hour it's packed okay people are like sardines they're just all squashed up and in a similar way okay followers of jesus intro us are sitting and standing shoulder to shoulder listening to the apostle paul teach some have been able to find a seat on a sofa there's probably fold-up chairs okay some are sitting on the floor some are standing but it's just a packed room okay just packed but there's a young man who's managed to find an unusual place to sit. Look at the first part of verse nine. And the young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still long. So while most people are content being crammed inside the stuffy upstairs room, a young man has found what he believes to be a very good place to sit, okay? Um, verse 9 again, he's sitting at the window. In other words, he has found a window um, and sat right on the windowsill. And you have to remember, in those days, they didn't have, um, windows were open. They didn't have glass, okay? And they didn't have screens okay and so it was wide open and so this young guy has found this interesting place to sit it's a warm Mediterranean night there's no air conditioning the room is dimly lit the lamps are emitting some sort of aroma and so you can understand why this young man chose to sit on the window still. It gives him the space he needs, and it's also a nice place to sit because there's plenty of fresh air. It's got good ventilation. This young man is called Eutychus. His name literally means lucky or fortunate one. We don't know anything else about him. We don't know his parents, friends, or background. Was he poor? Was he rich? We have no idea. All we know is his name. And all we know is that he's a Christian who's decided to gather with other Christians in order to hear the Apostle Paul teach. But the longer the meeting goes on, the sleepier he becomes. With so many lamps burning, the room is full of smoke and the air has become stale. Eutychus tries his best to concentrate on what Paul is saying, but it's not long before the stuffy room 
and the hypnotic flickering of the flames do their work, Eutychus fades into a deep sleep while sitting on the ledge of an open window. Recipe for disaster. Two, um, about a week ago, I had oral surgery. I had four wisdom tooth pulled out. I guess I'm American now. Because <laughs> we don't do that in England. Okay, I was in England in 2019, and they had saw my wisdom teeth. They were like, mate, leave them in. Let's just leave them in. They'll be fine. I come back, and I'm like, I'm having these toothaches. We're going to the, my dentist here, and he was like, all right. Lads, let's take out those wisdom teeth. <laughs> and so I had a wisdom teeth. And one of the things they told me was this. Look, after your surgery, you need someone to be there to drive you home. Because I was under deep sedation. Okay? And when I came out and I was recovering, it was just not a good idea for me to get in the car and drive myself home. It would be a recipe for disaster for anyone recovering from sedation to drive home. In a similar way, okay, a young man who has fallen into a deep sleep while sitting on the ledge of an open window is a recipe for disaster. There's a strong possibility something terrible is going to happen, and it does, but... Before we take a closer look at what actually happens, I got a question for you guys. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want to be known for? A number of years ago, I was graduating from, I was graduating from seminary. And at my seminary, every graduate gets to share their senior testimony. I was super excited to share my testimony, right? It was like, what, five, ten minutes, and the goal was to just share with people um, how God has been faithful for the last four years. And so that morning, I got suited and booted, wore my best suit, I was in line, I was at the front waiting for my turn. I go up, I stand, and I start to share my testimony of how God has been faithful ever since my wife and I arrived from England. And as I spoke, I started to feel weird. And that weirdness wasn't um, emotion, as like, I am feeling really emotional and I'm going to cry. It was different. I'd never felt such sensations before and the longer I spoke the worse it got and before you know it I blacked out I opened my eyes right and you know the students are all over me they're ripping my lovely tie off um, it's a lovely tie my blazer everything it was just like one of those moments and I had passed out while sharing my senior testimony at seminary from then on I became known as that student and to this day I'm not kidding you I see <laughs> 
guys that have, um, have attended the seminary I went to, and they all remember me. For what? Not for my suit. But for, as a student that passed away, I may be known as the first and only seminary student to have passed out during my senior testimony, but Eutychus is the first known Christian to have fallen asleep at a church gathering. As as embarrassing and as comical as this was for you to curse, God has been using his embarrassing moment to remind us of some important truths. And the first, the truth is not the consequences of falling asleep at church, okay? But I believe one of the truths this story reveals to us is this. The existence of sleepy Christians and their need to be woken from their spiritual sleep. R. Kent Hughes says this, falling asleep in church really does not concern me. It can happen for any number of reasons, both good and bad. What concerns me are the thousands who warm a pew every Lord's Day with their bodies awake and their souls asleep. Our churches and our communities are filled with people who can be described as sleepy Christians or nominal Christians. Basically, they're physically present but spiritually asleep. Tim Keller, well-known Bible teacher in New York, describes a sleepy Christian in this way. A sleepy Christian, he says, may believe they're a Christian, but they don't have a real sense of God's holiness, their own sin or the death of his grace. They may be a moralist or a relativist or living in consistent life. What do you think? Are you spiritually alive or spiritually asleep? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask several questions. These questions are from Tim Keller. And these questions are kind of spiritual diagnostic questions designed to help you begin to figure out whether you're awake or you're sleeping. The first question is, how real has God been this week to your heart? Number two, how clear and vivid is your assurance and certainty of God's forgiveness and fatherly love? Question number three, are you having any particular seasons of sweet delight in God? Four, do you really sense God's presence in your life? Five, Have you been finding scripture to be alive and active? Six, 
are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious or encouraging? Seven, are you finding God challenging you and calling you to something through the word? Eight, are you finding God's grace more glorious and moving now than you have in the past? And lastly, are you conscious of a growing sense of evil in your heart and in response, a growing dependence on the preciousness of the mercy of God. Christian, are you awake or asleep? And I want you to seriously consider these questions. I'm going to post them on um, our group me or online or something. And um, this week, I just want you to read through them and ask yourself these questions. And my hope is that uh, as you think through this, um, you're encouraged, equipped, and challenged by these questions and that they would lead um, you and all of us to a greater experience of our living God. And so if you're a sleepy Christian, there is hope for you. You can rise from your sleep and may God awaken you from your slumber so that you may come to life in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May you find the Bible to be alive and active. May the deep things of God become more precious and exciting to you than anyone and anything in this world. If you're a, a sleepy Christian, may you view um, the gathering with God's people as not a duty but a delight and may you find God's grace to be more precious and moving now than you have in the past um, I love Ephesians 5 1 5 um, 5 14 it says this awake O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you Back to our story. And so Eutychus has fallen into a deep sleep while sitting on the ledge of an open window. What happens next? Look at the last part of verse 9. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. You could like almost hear the gasp in the room. As soon as Eutychus falls from the third story window and hits the pavement like you can imagine like how people are screaming and freaking out think they are um, in a room on the third floor somewhere and I can imagine as soon as they hear him hit the pavement everyone stops right um, they all run for the door down the stairs and outside onto the street um, it's a late night it's nearly midnight but a large crowd is beginning to gather around the scene of the accident and um, some cannot bear to look others just stand wide-eyed and in shock um, his friends and family are devastated and weeping uncontrollably and as news starts to spread and the crowd begins to grow something unexpected happens look at verse 10 it's crazy but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said 
do not be alarmed for his life is in him. At this point, I'm sure everyone's looking at Paul going, what the heck? <laughs> what do you mean he's alive? Paul, can't you see um, he's dead? What do you mean he's alive? And we know the rest of the story. As people began to question Paul's perspective of reality and started assuming he's going loopy, um, Eutychus opens his eyes, Paul helps him to his feet, he's alive and well, and just imagine being there. Imagine being part of the crowd. Imagine seeing a dead person come to life. I wonder how you would respond. The question is, let's look at how Paul responds. What does he do next? Look at verse 11 and 12. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until, like, he just raised someone from the dead. And what does he do next? Right? He doesn't, like, have a bunch of interviews because the news networks have probably arrived. <laughs> he just, like, goes upstairs, um, breaks bread, communion, has a meal, and continues to teach. And it says he, he's like, he taught until daybreak. And then after this, he just says goodbye and leaves. If you've been a Christian for a while, you'll probably know this. In the Bible, dead people return to life. There are several accounts in the Bible where people died and were miraculously raised back to life. This happens on 10 occasions with three resurrections happening in the Old Testament and seven others in the New Testament. Eutychus' resurrection is one of the rarest miracles in the Bible and it's also the only one according to scripture performed by the Apostle Paul. The other resurrection miracles, um, you know this, are performed by Elijah in 1 Kings, Elisha in 2 Kings, Peter in Acts 9, and of course Jesus himself. As we look at the story of Eutychus and think about people being raised from, the, uh, from death to life, um, the most pressing question that comes to mind, it came to my mind, and I'm sure you've been thinking about this, is this. Does this mean miracles like this are possible today? In other words, can we raise the dead like Jesus and certain other apostles like Paul. 
Does God really expect believers, all right, living in modern times, living in 21st century San Diego, does God um, really expect us to raise the dead as part of normal Christian life? In 2019, when a two-year-old girl unexpectedly stopped breathing and passed away, um, a church in California began praying not for her soul to find rest or for her or for her family to be healed. They were asking God to raise her from the dead. This was in 2019. People associated with this church would say they strongly believe in the accounts of healing and physical resurrection found in the Bible and that miracles they portray are possible today. If we have enough faith, if we believe God can do the impossible, God can use us to actually raise dead people back to life, they believe. Should we expect this? Is this what um, this story of Eutychus, um, is this what it's teaching us? Is it teaching us that miracles like this, like raising people from the dead, are possible today through God's people? Maybe. Who knows? God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants all things are possible with god there's no reason why god couldn't raise the dead today however this is by no means god's normative way of working these kinds of miracles are rare in the bible people being raised from the dead okay and they've been even infrequent in church history and so this is the balance i think the the bible gives okay the bible says this, and we shouldn't obsess over the miraculous and be all about the miraculous we shouldn't also downplay the possibility of extraordinary miracles okay but i would say what scripture wants us to do all right is inviting us to do as modern day believers is to do our best to focus on the miracle of salvation okay um some may try to use the story of Eutychus to warn against the dangers of sleeping in church or of preaching too long, okay? Some may use this story um, to, you know, talk about the possibility of raising the dead. But I would argue that one of the primary reasons this story exists is to do this, is to illustrate what happens when someone gets saved. 
The Bible is so rich. It's so deep. It's a multi-layered storehouse of treasure and as you peel it back layer by layer you discover the most amazing things okay and that you will discover that this story is just not an odd and fascinating story about a miracle but if you spend time reflecting on it it helps us understand what actually happens when someone is saved what happened physically to Eutychus is what has happened spiritually to Christians. Here are a collection of Bible verses that explains what I'm trying, I'm talking about, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, and we're going to look at verse 1, you know, 1 through to 6. This is what, how, what it reads. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through to 6. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience goes to go to verse 4 okay so what is that saying at the beginning we were dead in our trespasses and our sins okay and then verse 4 but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us what? Alive together in Christ. All right, Romans 6.4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Colossians 2 verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead okay um, 2 Corinthians 5 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come This is what all of this is saying. Similar to Eutychus, okay? Some of us were dead. And it wasn't a physical death, but a spiritual one. A death that meant we were dead to God, the source of all life. But while we were dead in our sins, God came up with a rescue plan a plan to give us new life and he made this possible by sending his only son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life to die in our place as sinners and then Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He resurrected from the grave three days later. And so this is what this means. Whoever believes Jesus was the son of God, whoever believes Jesus absorbed the judgment we deserved for our sins on the cross, whoever believes he rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, and whoever trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will receive forgiveness of of sins and be made alive in Jesus Christ 
I love Romans 6.23. It's a tiny little verse, but it's packed. And it just explains everything we're talking about. Let's read it. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you today, if you haven't, will you accept the free gift of life today by surrendering to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Will you recognize that without Jesus, you are dead in your sins? Will you acknowledge that today you can be made alive only by faith in Jesus? And so this morning, this fascinating true story has exposed us to the reality of sleepy Christians and the reality of the spiritually dead. But there's hope, and this is the hope. If you're here and you're a sleepy Christian and you're like, Obed, man, as I was looking, as I was thinking through those questions, I just think I've just been a sleepy Christian. I, I, I've been present at church. I've been serving. Um, but my life has just lacked um, a passion and an excitement for God when it comes to my relationship with him. I'm present. I'm doing a lot for God. I'm working for God. I'm involved and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But when it comes to my relationship with God, I just lack the excitement. It just feels like I'm in this malaise and everything's dull. And um, I remember when I was first got, when I first got saved, um, everything was in color, and my relationship with God was just so exciting and fruitful, and there was so much vitality. But now it just feels dull. It just feels like I'm just sailing along and involved in church, and I'm just going through the motions my life feels like it's in airplane mode kind of just sailing just cruising if that is you there is hope for you there's hope for you because of Jesus. Right now, Jesus is inviting you to come and surrender to him so that you may experience his grace, his mercy, his love, so that you may enjoy him once again. If you're here and you're like, I'm spiritually dead. Uh, I'm dead in my sins. I, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I've heard about Jesus and Christianity. And man, like today, it was crazy that I learned that, man, like I, I can be physically alive, spiritually dead to God. I kind of have an idea, but I don't have a relationship with God. There is hope for you. 
And there is hope for you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay, Jesus died for your sins, okay? And he rose again. And if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you too can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Let's pray. God, our life is in your hands. I pray right now that the work you've started in all of our hearts, you would continue it. You would continue it. God, you would be gracious. wake up those who are sleeping that God you would be powerful to bring to life those who are dead when it comes to their relationship with you in Jesus name we pray amen